listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. You can take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 6 as well as Matthew. I'm giving you two references to look up and uh, encourage you to do that at this time. The ushers are coming forward and they're bringing some Bibles in case you didn't bring your Bible today or don't have one. We would love this to be a gift for you. Uh, Take that Bible. They also have pens available too if you need a pen or a connection card. Just anything to help you to to take some notes and to follow along in, in the Word of God. We we, we value greatly God's word, and so encourage you to be following along um, on, in your Bibles or on your uh, devices and um, as we study God's word and, and encourage you to write down the things that we're going to be talking about here today. And so Acts chapter 6, but first of all, before we look at that, so, so find Acts 6, put your finger in that, and uh, then Matthew 24. We're going to be reading from Matthew 24 in a few moments. But I want to start today... And I want to ask you this Sunday and next Sunday two very important questions. And the first one that we are going to unpack today is this. Are you truly living for Christ? Are you truly following Jesus Christ? Have you committed your life to Jesus Christ? Is he your Savior and your Lord? Have you experienced his amazing grace at work in your life? Are you truly living for Christ? Second question, are you ready to die for Christ? Are you ready to die for Christ today? These are important questions, questions that I believe are very defining that in in our lives here today as a church, I've been asking people to be praying for today and for next Sunday because I believe this is a defining question defining passage that we are going to be looking at in light of everything that is going on in our world. These questions are a matter of life and death. They are a matter of, seriously, heaven and hell. They are a matter of your joy and peace or living in fear and despair. These are important questions. We are, folks, living in unprecedented days. And things continue to to keep ramping up, so to speak, Sometimes you wonder, are they worse days than we've ever lived in? Um, and, and I honestly believe with the rate of things that are that's happening in our world, morally, politically, um, through, through the entire globe, things are definitely worse than they've ever been. The great news is that throughout the history of the church, throughout the history of Uh, of God's word as you see it that oftentimes when things look the darkest that is when God's power and his presence shows up in amazing ways and may that be true in our nation may that be true in our world but tomorrow we face a big election in our nation probably one of the more important or the biggest elections that that we will 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 face sorry I didn't include the Green Party in there in 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 that it was just maybe a bit of an oversight or but but let's face it I mean one of these individuals will probably will be our Prime Minister tomorrow and we are facing a very very uh, interesting future the landscape of our politics and therefore our, our economics and even our morals and different things could greatly change starting tomorrow in some very significant ways. We could see greater pressures in the, the weeks, the months, the years 
ahead until Christ returns, greater uh, pressure on Christian values, on the word of God and its importance and presence here. This morning kind of had a little chuckle. There was, uh, I, I, I got an alarming little, uh, I was busy in, in one of the, the worship theaters. Uh, we were just doing some work with the children's, just doing uh, a little setup there. And I found out there was a police officer that was looking for me. And I thought, this is never good when, when this happens. And, and sure enough, it, it wasn't a police officer per se, like RCMP, but it was um, a, a bylaw person, and, and some of our signs weren't in, in the right place. He was very good about it, just gave us a warning, told us to, to, to move the signs. And then I joked with him afterwards, I said, hey, do you want to cuff me and lead me out of here? I said, it could create quite a story, and he, he laughed. And, 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 and yet, I, we laugh about that and think, oh, you know, um, th- that's good, but maybe one day that could become a reality within our churches here, even in Canada, that as churches and Christian organizations, as, as, as pastors, as, as, as even when it comes to the definition of marriage in our nation, and, and when it comes to performing ceremonies, and, and will pastors, will members of, of the clergy be able to say yes or no to, to marriages that they do not agree with, that follow along with Scripture? Um, churches and other Christian org- organizations could, that do not bow down to popular culture of the day could very well easily lose their charity status and, and face other pressures just even as far as hate speech and different things when we proclaim God's truth. These are things that could easily happen in our nation and the way that things continue to go could become a reality sooner than we think. As we approach tomorrow, uh, we need to be praying. We need to be praying for men and women to be elected that are men and women of integrity to lead our nation. That, that we would have a righteous government. That God would work on Parliament Hill in the months and in the years to come. That spiritual revival would happen. But we know we just don't pray for spiritual revival to happen in Ottawa. We pray for spiritual revival to happen in our own hearts, in our own lives. And as that happens, that has a great effect in our world and on others. You see, as even I mentioned in the prayer, that real change doesn't happen through having the right prime minister. Real change happens through the people of God standing up and allowing God to do that work in our life. Elections aside, even we continue to see that we are living in perilous times. We're living in very interesting days. The erosion of the family when it comes to marriage and sexuality. The definition of the family that is continuing to change. Just recently I just read of two um, homosexual men that are in a marriage together getting a divorce because they want to include a third um, individual in their um, in, in their family in, in their grouping, so they thought it'd be best if they got a divorce because it wouldn't be fair if, if some were married in the relationship and others weren't, and I'm just like, you're serious, this is what's really happening. There's sad realities in our world when it comes to abortion and Planned Parenthood, things being exposed in the states, and yet a blind eye continues to be turned to it. Late-term abortions becoming more and more common. Suicide pills, right-to-die kind of things, euthanasia gaining more and more momentum in our country and around the world. 
We look overseas and we see what's going on and we see thousands, hundreds of thousands of Syrian refugees that are, 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 are fleeing their nation because of the, the, the terrorism and because of the war that, that is raging there in that nation. There's so much that is happening. I mean, just even if, as you follow the news and, and sometimes you don't want to, you just want to bury your head in the sands, but we need to be alert, we need to be aware, we need to be awake with what's going on. And you see, just even more recently, that Iran and, and Russia are joining forces together. I mean, f- former enemies hating each other, now joining forces together. And, and in many ways, this could be speaking to Ezekiel 38 and 39 of the war that is spoken about there. We are seeing Bible prophecy unfolding daily before our eyes, and we need to be aware of it. We need to be awake. We need to be ready. And, and, and we're seeing these kind of things happen. I mean, I haven't even touched yet ISIS and what they are doing as far as the, the, the heinous acts of violence and killings. Much of it is going unreported because people don't want to hear the bad news. We'll hear so much bad news, but then we don't want to hear that much, and so it doesn't get reported. But just even some of the things I read this week, even Christianity Today had an article on, on what's going on. And it, it, I mean, if I was to read the things that, that are going on in, in, in the terror that, that ISIS is is committing upon Christian people, children, whether it is, is children or adults, it doesn't matter. They seem to have no, no morals or ethics when it comes to that. If I told you some of the things you would do, probably I wouldn't be surprised if some of you would throw up or you get up and walk out because you were feeling so sick. Terrible things are happening. But we're safe here in Canada, aren't we? But are we? ISIS has singled out Canada as a nation that is one that they are targeting. The safety and the security that we've enjoyed for years could change one day. Could change one day very quickly. Folks, this is the world that we live in. And in some ways, I cannot believe, I mean, everything that is happening. And I don't think there's a more exciting day to be living in. And yet the question is that we started out with here early on and we're going to dig into the next few weeks. Are you living for Christ? Because that, that's a game changer. Are you ready to die for Christ? And I believe even in this room here today and amongst God's people in our nation, there is great fear when we talk about these things, when, when, when we, we listen to, to the news and we see these things that's going on, there is great fear and we don't even want to talk about it. We want to almost like bury our heads in the sand. And today, I don't want to frighten you. I want to waken you through the word of God, through the testimony of what it has to say to us and what we can learn from God's holy and inspired word. We don't have to live in fear because perfect love drives out fear who we've been worshiping about here this morning, these words on the screen, they're just not words, they're reality of this Jesus, who when he, we are truly living for him and we are full of Jesus in our life, we have no reason to fear. And yet so oftentimes we do, myself included, getting our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Again, I don't want to frighten you. I want to awaken you to these realities. These are serious things we're talking about. But these questions, they call us to action today. And that action starts with examining our hearts, examining each one of us where we are at personally, because one day we will all personally stand before the Lord Jesus. I've got a great father-in-law, love him, I mean, love to make fun of him, love to, to visit with him, love it when he comes and fixes and builds things in our house for us, just love the guy. 
But you know what, so oftentimes, it's quite funny, he doesn't like public speaking, and he'll always get my mother-in-law to, to speak publicly before he ever has to do it. And so he's really a good talker behind the scenes, but then it's kind of like, Mom, you talk for us. And, you know, when it comes to a certain situation, and she's a, she, she, she's a very good speaker and, and, and gifted in that way. And, uh, and so I get a little chuckle about that, you know. And, but one day we will all stand before Jesus we will stand before our God. We will stand before our Father in heaven. And it won't be, hey, Mom, you, you go and you, you give a defense. We will stand on our own. We will stand by ourselves before Christ. Are you truly living for Jesus? So important that we examine that. It's not time to run for cover. I believe it's time to stand up. It's time to stand up and to be counted and to... But before we do that, we must examine our hearts. It's not time to put our heads in the sand and ignore it and just watch baseball. Go Blue Jays. You know, uh, they need all the help they can get, it sounds like right now. But, um, but no, what we are to do, we are to examine our hearts, but then we are to study God's word. And, and we're going to do that in Matthew 24. We're going to go through this here quickly and would love to preach on this at some point. Um, but just going to mention here, um, and, and, but before that, Hebrews 3.13, this is what I'm doing. This is, I want to live out God's word here. Hebrews 3.13 says, warn, exhort, encourage one another so that we are not deceived. I don't want you to be deceived. don't want you to be, be unaware of, of these things and what we're talking about. And what I would love for us to do is we look at God's word, that we would get busy doing the work of God this week. We, right here in this city, that we would take that fourth pillar seriously, boldly sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And we wouldn't hide it under a bushel, no, as we sing the times when we are children, that we would stand up for Jesus. We have a mission laid out for us. You want to join a church that has a clear mission? We've got that. We want to, we want to take the gospel into our city, but before that happens, the gospel has to permeate our own lives. And that's what we're doing here today. And that's what we are serious about. We have a mission laid out from Jesus Christ himself. And so let's look at what he has to encourage, challenge, warn us so that we are not deceived. In, in Matthew 24, verse 4, it says, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And folks, there are many false teachers portraying themselves as ministers of the gospel, and some of them are very successful that are doing this. There are false teachers and prophets, pastors that are teaching a false, watered-down, unbiblical gospel. Whether it is a social gospel, a prosperity gospel, a feel-good kind of a gospel, a doctor feel kind of sort of thing, um, and it's false teaching. And we have to be examining the word. That's why I'm telling you to write down the passages we're looking at so you take and you examine the words that I preach and that I speak. That's why we have elders that watch over us, that make sure that we're sticking to the word of God. Verse 6, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. You think that's happening? See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places and all of these are but the beginning of the birth pains. When an expectant mother is starting to experience birth pains, that's not time to go on a vacation, you know, a safari in Africa, is it? 
No, I mean, when the birth pains are starting, that is a sign. Hunker down, get ready, prepare, be, you know what, make sure the route to the hospital, make sure everything is well taken care of. I know when, when the due dates for our kids were getting ready, Charlotte had a suitcase that was packed for herself, for the little one that we would be, um, we're anticipating, we are ready to go, and, and, and it wasn't really in the day of cell phones like we have today, and so we had to be very strategic to make sure that if, if the time happened, we were ready. And the same way, folks, the birth pains are happening in our world of Christ's return. It could happen at any time. And some of us would say, be great if it happened right now. You get right out of this teaching and right up to heaven. And I'd say, amen, let's go for that. Um, but, nope, so let's keep going. You know, and so, okay, and so, verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. Is this happening today? You better believe it is. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Dangerous right in there. As we see what's going on in the world and we get our eyes on, on all of these other things, our love for the gospel, our love for Jesus grows cold. Because we're getting our eyes on other things. Other things that other Christians have. You say, well, if they have it, then that must be a good thing. And, and our, our love for God grows cold. And lawlessness, picking it up again in verse 12, will be increased. The love of many will grow cold. Verse 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Folks, this is a warning and an instructional passage. And so how are we to live in light of all of this? Well, today, we're going to look at the first martyr. We're going to see how, how he lived for Christ and how he died for Christ. And I honestly believe that the day that he woke up, that was his last day. He even saw that it would be his last day. And yet he was prepared. He was living for Christ on that day. He was ready, prepared to die for Christ. And how did he ever die for Christ in an amazing way? Stephen's life and ministry seems to, I mean, in many ways to have been cut short. In, in um, chapter 8, verse 2, just we, you don't need to jump ahead to there, but it talks about how the church grieved for him loudly. He was loved. He was a vital part of the church in Jerusalem. And so they grieved deeply. They loved him in a, in, a, in a great way. And yet Stephen's death was not in vain. He did not die before he accomplished the mission that God prepared for him to do. And since Stephen's martyred him, he was the first Christian martyr, there's been an estimated 70 million Christians who have been martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. Think about that. Double the population of Canada. Of people since Stephen's martyrdom, 70 million have given their faith. It's believed that tens of thousands Many of them go unreported, happen every year. Two-thirds of the Christians today are living in dangerous neighborhoods, regions, and countries that are not 
um, welcoming to the gospel and have a certain degree of fear and certain degree of persecution before them. So I come back to these questions. Are you truly living for Christ today? Are you ready to die for Christ? And today we're just going to spend time Uh, I thought we were going to get through both of these questions today, and by Friday it was like we're going to just stick with the first question here today, and next week we'll take on part two of this. Let's learn today. I mean, we're going to see some amazing truths from an amazing man here in God's Word, and we're going to examine God's glorious Word, and we're going to see the life of this individual Stephen, and I trust that we are going to learn, we are going to be challenged, and we are going to see that this is an example we can follow, because really he was following the example of Jesus Christ. Where we left off three weeks ago, before our, our one-year celebration and, and uh, then Thanksgiving last week, um, what, where we left off, there was trouble brewing in, in Acts chapter 6. Remember that, that the widows, that they kind of had this, this food hamper or some sort of a kitchen for them, and, and some of them were complaining because they were being overlooked, and I won't go into all of that. That message is online. You can listen to that. And, um, and so they, they chose. The apostles said, listen, we need to keep devoted to prayer and to the study of the word, so we're going to appoint seven men, seven men to oversee the distribution of, of food. And so Stephen was one of those men chosen. He was the first one listed. And, and, and here's what we know about Stephen. We don't know a lot about him, except here virtually just basically in this chapter and the next. But in, in chapter 6, verse 3, it says, Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit and with wisdom. In Acts 6, 5, it says they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. In Acts 6, 8, it says, and Stephen was full of grace and power and was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So this is what we know about him. Here he is, an ordinary guy. Wasn't an apostle, wasn't a disciple of Jesus. An ordinary guy who seemed to have some pretty extraordinary giftings. And yet here he is found waiting on tables, being willing to do whatever was asked for him to do as, as he was approached to ask to see, would you oversee the distribution of this food for the widows? And he said yes. Next thing you know, he's, I mean, he's, he's serving them. But then now in this chapter, we're seeing this ordinary person is now performing miraculous signs and wonders. It's amazing to see how God can use people who are willing to serve, willing to start out in the low ranks, and, and as that happens, God honors and he blesses that. Here he is performing miracles. However, those miracles got him into some trouble and he is hauled before the leaders in the synagogue. And so we're going to pick it up, the this, this story, in verse 9 of Acts chapter 6. And it says, Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and the Cyrenians and, and of the Alexandrians and those of um, Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. So in Jerusalem and throughout Israel, there were all these different synagogues. You had the temple in Jerusalem. That was the main place. But then you had these synagogues where people would go um, throughout the course of the week. They would go on a daily basis. They would go there to worship. They would go there to, to hear teaching and discuss um, God's word. And so, so here is some of these synagogue leaders are coming together from a number of these different synagogues. And they're bringing Stephen before them. And they're a little ticked off with, with what he is saying. And so verse 10. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then secretly they instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. 
And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against his holy, against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change those customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at them all, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like that of the face of an angel. So in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of just, you know, you just see, I mean, you can just hear the volume in the room. They're angry. They're shouting out the, the, these false accusations against him. And yet his face was like that of an angel. Huh. There was this glow, this confidence, this grace, this peace about him. His face radiated with the holiness and, and with the glory of God. Stephen knew what it was, what it meant to truly live for Christ. This is why we can learn from him today. This is why we need to pay attention to, to his life here today. You know, there's only one other place in Scripture where we see that someone's countenance, their face, radiates the glory of God. You know who that, that is? Do you remember who that is? Moses. When he's coming down from, from the mountain after receiving the Ten Commandments in Exodus 34, you can read that, write it down, Exodus 34, you can read that this week. As he has received the Ten Commandments, he comes down and he's glowing because he was in the presence of God, Almighty God, and the people are like, whoa, what's going on here? Well, here now, years later, we see Stephen radiating the glory of God. Why? Because he has been in the presence of God. He's been... Focusing on the glory and the majesty of God in his own personal life. And, and so here we see Stephen, ordinary table waiter, waiting on wood at widows, probably not even getting very good tips, except maybe how to wipe a dish better or something like that. And, and now here's a guy before this council in, in the loud chaos that's no doubt going on, and his face is glowing, radiating the glory of God. Let's dig a little deeper and see what we get to know about Stephen here. And, and these words here basically encourage you to write this down because we see that, that Stephen from, these, from this passage here was full of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, faith, grace, and power. Let's unpack each one of these. First of all, he was full of the Holy Spirit. Stephen at some point in his life turned his life over to Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord. And when he did that, and when you and I do that, the Holy Spirit comes into our life and takes up residence within us. And Stephen, it says, was full of the Holy Spirit. He confessed Jesus Christ as his Savior and as his Lord. No doubt what also had happened somewhere in, in this time before this, as he confessed Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, he was baptized. Didn't put it off. In those days, people came to Christ, they were baptized immediately, confessing their faith publicly in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Obedience. That is what God's word calls us as his children to do. Not to delay, but to be obedient. Baptism is supposed to be the first act of obedience after you come to faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible's pretty clear on that, and we see that, the pattern throughout the New Testament, that people were saved, they were baptized. Baptism, remember, it doesn't save you, but it is an important first step of obedience. This is the filling of the Holy Spirit. I mean, he's full of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he's living a life of obedience to God's word. Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God was active in him. People could see that. It was evident that he was being changed. Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Has the Holy Spirit come in and taken residence in your life? 
Have you repented of your sins? That means that you've not only acknowledged that you're a sinner and have confessed your sins and said, said, glory, said sorry to God, but that you're repented, which means you have turned away, that is your desire to turn away from that sin. Confession and repentance is a daily thing because we fall daily and we mess up daily, and so we continue to confess and repent before God. Have you done that? Are you doing that? So important. Second of all, we see he was full of wisdom. On Twitter this week, uh, I have an uncle who is a pastor in Chicago, and, and I saw this tweet. He, he's recently discovered Twitter, and he put some, some wonderful things on there. And then this one just, it was just like, wow, did he ever know what I was preaching on? And, um, and, and this just, I mean, just goes with what we're talking about. You show me someone who is filled with the Spirit, and I'll show you someone who has spiritual understanding. You want to have spiritual wisdom, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Live a life of obedience to Jesus Christ and to his word. You show me someone who is filled with the Spirit, I'll show you someone of spiritual understanding. Well, Stephen, how is he described? As a man who had great wisdom. How fitting um, that, that we see this, that, that not only did he have wisdom in probably how to distribute and cut up the bread for, for the widows, but he had greater wisdom beyond that. Next chapter, um, next week, we're going to see that he was a student of the word of God. He was able to stand up and, 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 and speak forth the word of God very clearly, very boldly. He knew his stuff. They were astounded, even as we read here in this passage here today. They were astounded at, at, as his, at his wisdom, at, at, at his knowledge. He was devoted. He took time to carefully study God's word. Are we studying God's word? Are we reading God's word? Or does it just sit on the shelf? Psalm 19, verse 7. Write that down. Psalm 19, verse 7. Reminds us that the law of the Lord is perfect. It's reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Where do we get the testimony of the Lord? In here. In the word of God. Making wise the simple. You feel kind of simple? Feel that you don't have a lot of wisdom? Get to know the word of God. God's word makes wise the simple. We need to study it. We need to read it. Memorizing it. All of these things, all of us, I'm sure, could be doing more of it. I could be doing it. I need to be doing more of this in my own life. You want to have great wisdom and understanding in this world, in your business, in your family, in your relationships? Study God's word. It provides the answers. Struggling with sin and temptation? Behold the glory of God through the word of God. Get to see his grace, his majesty, his power, his dominion over all things. Unsure how to deal with a certain situation at work or with family or in a marriage? Turn to the word. God's word revives the soul. That's why we desire to proclaim God's word with authority. Are we doing this in our own lives? God's word revives it. It gives wisdom to the simple. Is there a passion for the word of God in your life? Or does it sit on the shelf and you just happen to hopefully bring it on a Sunday when you come to church? You cannot have a growing passion, a relationship with God that is going anywhere if you are not in the word of God. There's good preaching. Encourage you to download good preaching and podcasts. So much is available. A lot of junk available. But there's a lot of good stuff available. There's a lot of good books. A lot of junky books that are available. And there's a lot of good books. But these are supplements to the word of God. God's word is primary. And so we need that, that and, and even to be praying, God, give me that fresh passion for your word and open the word of God and pray expectantly for God to work and to speak into your life. 
as you read his word. Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of wisdom. And next, he was full of faith. This reveals his character. He was a man of faith, of, of a steady reliance, a trust in God. I can't, but God, you can. And how does our faith grow and build? By getting to know the word of God. You'll see this progression. Starts with salvation. Starts with living a life of obedience, of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It moves into the wisdom of God's word. And as we understand, as we grow in God's word, it builds our faith. Because we know the outcome. We know God's truth. We know God's, God's working in and through all situations. It is the anchor for our soul. And so we see this faith that builds. Romans 10, 17 says faith comes from hearing and hearing through Facebook. Or hearing comes through global news at 6 o'clock. No. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It's getting to know his word. This progression. Next we see full of grace. Grace in the New Testament means unmerited, unlimited riches of God poured out upon us through Jesus Christ. But now listen, there's also another meaning to this word grace. The word grace also means beauty, symmetry, rhythm, elegance, loveliness. All of this was seen in Stephen's life as he's waiting on some widows that he was serving. But it's also seen in his life before the Sanhedrin. He has this grace about him, this glow, this radiance, the glory of Christ. He's not sitting there as these guys are accusing him and falsely. And he's not mad and he's not defensive. He's, he's calm. Why? Because the grace of God is evident in his life. He's not like a caged animal, like, get me out of here. Help, I'm, I'm in trouble. No. He's calm. He knew the words of Jesus Christ that had been spoken that don't worry when you're hauled before the council. I'll give you the words to say. I'm with you. This leads us to the last, the last thing here. Or even just to back up, 1 Peter 3.18 says, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Jesus. When we have truly received amazing grace in our lives, it just doesn't flow in. It also flows out. Grace isn't just a one-time thing that we receive. It is an ongoing experience. It is something we receive daily in our lives. Once we've received amazing grace, then we are not just to, be, just to be stocking up on it. We need to be conduits. We need to be sharing it. We need to be giving it out to others. And as God is changing us, others notice. We've got a story to tell. The gospel comes alive. It's not just following a book. It's a book that has come alive. The word of truth. And we're being filled with, with this grace that, that is touching the lives of others. Grace doesn't only pay for our sins, but it changes us. If your faith has not changed you, your faith has not truly saved you. Pay careful attention to this. If your faith has not changed you, your faith hasn't perhaps truly saved you. There needs to be, if you've been a believer 
over the years. There needs to be, it's so important, if we are truly following Christ, a progression of his grace flowing into our lives that's flowing out of our lives. And, 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 and instead of becoming more fearful, we, need, we should be becoming more confident instead of becoming more worked up and, and angry. And I know God, I mean, he continues to keep working in me. I need more of this in my own life. My family could attest to that. I can attest to it. Oh, I need to keep, continue to receive God's grace in my life and I need to radiate that and share that with others. And this leads us to the last one, full of power. The power of God flows in and through our lives as we are growing in these other areas. You see, oftentimes we come to Christ and we want the power. We want a power experience. We want to have instant victory over difficult situations. We want to pray and we want to have our prayers answered just like this and and, you know, I got the power, you know, and, and that's what we're going for, right? And, and it doesn't work like that. It comes through this progression of living in obedience, being filled with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, turning to the wisdom of God's word in our lives, having our faith and our confidence grow as we're in the word and, and receiving and understanding his grace in a greater and a more amazing way day after day. And as that is flowing, there is a life of power that is available. We see Stephen in verse 8. It says, Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. That shows even the way that he was going around performing his miracles. It wasn't a me show. It was, this is a God show. This is what God is doing. This is the power of Jesus Christ at work. He's filled with God's grace and grace and, and, and power. There's a humility there about him. And God used Stephen in miraculous ways. But we also see the power here. This power is not just for signs and wonders, but it's also the power of perseverance. When the angry mob intensifies, when he approaches the last few moments of his death, you see a power that is there that is not human. There is a supernatural, a power that allowed him to not only live for Christ, but to die and to die well for Christ. Even on his knees facing death, Stephen stood tall. In the power of the Holy Spirit. So we see these words, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, full of faith, full of grace, full of power. But there's one word I want to emphasize here as we close here this morning, and that is the word full. We haven't examined that one yet. And the word full means in there, as it is mentioned, it is from the Greek word polares, which it means totally filled up totally filled up. And oftentimes when, you know, for example, you take this here, and i to do it in a place where I don't get electrocuted, but um, you take and fill up this, this cup, and I trust you can see it. Is this full? We would say it's, it's full, but is it really full? Full. Is it full now? Really? Here, is it full now? Yeah, now it's full. Yeah, now it's good. This is just preparing us for a baptism service in here, get a little wet sometime maybe. Now it's full. You see, I guess, I don't know, I didn't think of what, no. Hope that water was clean. Anyways, that is full. You see, so oftentimes we have become comfortable to live, as I wipe out now, partially full Christian lives. And 
power gets drained out of us and we never get filled up again. And sin comes in and pollutes and makes a mess of our lives and, and we, we're believers in Christ, but there's not a lot there. And it's that daily, continual filling that is so important. One of the reasons that so many of us, and I'll put myself included in this, that we lack the power, the grace, the faith, the wisdom, everything we've been talking about here today, is because we are just partially committed. We are just here for a certain time, and, and, and we're treating our faith, we're treating Jesus like a supplement in our life. It's kind of funny, my uh, family, as we are together, and, and there's um, six kids in, in our family, and most of us were there, and, and, and now um, there's been marriages and, and children, and, and now even my parents found out this weekend they're going to become great-grandparents, and so this group of 30 is going to continue to grow. So, so here I am sitting with my, um, some, some of my brothers and sisters, some uh, older, not too many older, uh, others younger, and we are just comparing um, body issues. And, and just, you know, as, as age, middle ages or, or young age is, is starting to, to take effect on us. It was funny, we were talking about, around the table even one day about the different pills, the different supplements we were taking. You know, like, oh, you know what, this helps me for this or this helps me, you know, j- just to calm me down to sleep. Or, or, or this one helps with, with, with cold sores. Or this one helps, I find, with foot fungus. Or, you know, like, I mean, you're just kind of going through, through this whole thing. You know, this vitamin D, I take this, I take this for, for this. And all these different supplements. And, and, and and sadly, that's oftentimes the way we treat our faith. We, 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 we treat Jesus when we treat our faith like a supplement. It's, it's a good add-on in our life. Probably a good thing to have, but it's not encompassing everything. We're not full of him. Jesus is to be our life. We are to be full of him. Full of the Holy Spirit. Wisdom, faith, grace, and power. And we think we can be partially full of Jesus and and fill the rest of our lives with other things. You see, the reason that, that Stephen lived well, and the reason, we'll find out next week, that he died well for Christ, is because he was full. He was all in, totally committed. You see, we all love, I mean, if you've been around church circles for probably more than a month or two, you've probably heard of John 3.16. I mean, you see it when you're watching NFL football still, you'll see the guy holding up the John 3.16 verse, you know, or, or just the reference. And, and, and so many people in our world know, and oh, we love John 3.16. Oh, it's such a good one. Oh, it is. It, and it is. It's truth. It's amazing. John, you know, and, and, and it gives us great hope, and, and, and it, it's, it's just an awesome Awesome verse that come to Jesus and live, live eternally. I mean, he promises everlasting life. What an important message, but it's only stated once in our New Testament. But four times, at least four times, once in each gospel. And so when you see this kind of progression, it's like, pay attention. Wake up and and, and take note of this, that Jesus, he called us to come and die in order to live. And Mark 8 is one of those references, and you look up Mark 8, verse 34, and then your Bible should reference you to the other places that it's also found in the New Testament. Mark 8, 34 says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life 
for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. You see, the call of Christ in salvation is not to come and live. It is, but it's first of all, come and die in order that you may truly live. And so I ask you, are you truly living for Christ? In order to truly live for Christ, it means we truly have died for him. We've died. We surrendered ourselves to him. Five years ago, uh, just shortly after moving to Kelowna, I met with a man and, and greatly respected this man. And I remember one day he met with me and he looked me in the eyes, put his glasses down, and he looked, looked me in the eye and he says, Melvin, is everything in your life surrendered to Jesus Christ? And it kind of came out of nowhere, this question. And he's just like, I'm just getting to know you. And you're, wow. And he looked at me with just these piercing eyes. And of course, I said, yeah, <laughs> I think so. You know, and I mean, shouldn't I say that? You know, and, and I mean, but that question continued to work in my life that day. And I remember waking up about three o'clock in the morning. And this thought of just like, is everything surrender to Jesus Christ? And I was asking God just to search me and to, you know, I mean, is there something I'm holding on to? And there was. It seemed I was able to let go of so much, but there was one thing, one person I was holding on to. And for whatever reason, it came down to our son, Nate. Couldn't let it go. Just like, and, and, and at that time, five years ago, he was the only Lutzer. He was kind of like, if you want to say it, heir to the throne of, of this group of, of Lutzers. And, and now, thankfully, pressure's off. There's a few other Lutzers uh, right around this earth, which is cool. But, um, but there was a, a certain point where it was like, God, you can have everything. It's surrendered, but, but don't you touch Nate. He's mine. He's, he's our son. He's... He, he's He's the next, he, he's the only Lutzer that's around right now. And, and I, I just remember thinking this, and I remember being on the couch on my knees before God and just saying, okay, God, he's yours. He's yours. I surrender him. It's all on, everything's on the altar. Two days later, he is sick. Doctors don't know what's going on. He's being rushed to the hospital. He can't breathe. And... I stayed home because I was a basket case because not only was I a basket case, plus somebody had to stay with Clarice and so, Clarice, and so Charlotte was taking him in in the middle of the night and you have a young boy, he's saying, I just want to die, I want to die. And I'm like, God, you're taking, I surrender and this is what you're doing? And I remember I was back to that spot on that couch and I'm just laying it out before God. He eventually, obviously recovered. Doctors were still a little confused totally as to what was going on. But there was a test. Was I truly surrendered? When we surrender, it may feel like death. It may feel like we're losing, but in the end, we're gaining. That's how the victory comes. Sadly, so oftentimes we, we treat our faith with such insignificance and and Jesus has simply become just a add-on, a supplement, like a vitamin supplement into our lives. The reason that Stephen lived well is that he already had died to himself. It was all in, all out for Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor who was martyred for his faith, said, when Jesus bids a man to come, to follow him, he bids him first to come and die. 
You see, we want Jesus to come into our life and remove our suffering, heal our sicknesses, be our therapist, make us rich, successful. And when he doesn't do that and meet our expectations in the way that we thought, well, we try a little harder for a while, but then eventually we just throw up our hands in despair and we go and try some other stuff. Still clinging a bit to our faith because that hell thing kind of scares us, but basically we kind of have one foot in our faith and we're exploring all kinds of other things to try to find that. And Jesus bids us come and die. In North America, we think that coming to Jesus means you just clean up your life morally a little bit. You stop doing a few certain bad things. You start doing a lot of other things. And then, you know what, because of grace, um, you can dabble in the world a little bit more because you'll be forgiven. That's a greasy kind of grace. You go to church when it's convenient. You serve if you feel like it or have the time or or not too busy. You give money if there's a little bit left at the end of the month. David Platt said, uh, great pastor, author, he said, Jesus didn't come to didn't save us to disinfect you and to put you on the shelf. He saved you to put you into his service. Have you offered yourself to Jesus in this way? This is how we truly live for Christ, by offering ourselves as living sacrifices to him. And when we do this, and as we talk about this even more next week, being ready to die for Christ, there's no fear. You you look at Stephen's life. You look at the the welcome he received into heaven. It's amazing. So in wrapping it up here this morning, I want to close with those questions. Are you truly living for Christ? Are you ready to die for Christ? And the death I'm talking about today is the death of surrender. Surrendering yourself to him and to his ways and say, my all is on the altar. I give it to you, God. And he's amazing. He takes good care of his stuff when it's given to him. He takes care of his children. Have you personally experienced amazing grace in your life? Have you come to the point where you've given your life over to Jesus Christ, repented of your sins, confessed them before God? Have you surrendered your life to Christ for salvation? And I, too, want to look you in the eye in the same way that that friend of mine looked me in the eye five years ago, and I want to say, are you surrendered to Jesus Christ? Look at me. Are you surrendered to Jesus Christ today? That's a question only you can ask. Are you following him? Are you serving him? Boldly speaking for him. I'm going to ask the band to come up and we're going to sing a familiar song. We're going to sing it in a traditional way. I encourage you just don't sing this song because you know it, but sing it. Not just because of a past experience you've had, but a present reality that you are experiencing today. And you are asking for God's amazing grace to flow in and through your life today. You maybe need to spend time in just confession, repentance of things that have clouded, have gotten in the way of your relationship with God. If you want to come and... and talk further about receiving Christ as your Savior. During this song, there's room here at the front. would love to be able to talk with you, pray with you. If you want to just come and, and worship him here in, in an attitude of surrender, I encourage you to do that. But let's sing this song as, as a declaration of the amazing grace that you've experienced, but you need to, that we keep experiencing day in and day out. This is how we truly live for Christ.